there we go. Thanks so much, Ken. Uh, it is it's it's great pleasure. Hey, Leighton, uh, you don't mind if hey, I hey. I'll do a lot of the chatting until uh, until you get settled in at home. How's that, Leighton? Okay. Um, so, um, uh, welcome everyone. It's uh, quite an honor to have Tyler uh, Ply coming on to uh, the Soil Matters, to uh, representing uh, grassroots uh, fabric pots. Uh, I was uh, just prior to this. I was just telling uh, Tyler how uh, I'm probably the the biggest champion of of the uh, grassroots fabric pots in Canada, uh, with maybe the possible exception of, of Nathan um, uh, Netchel from uh, Black Swallow Living Soils. And that's uh, for anyone in Canada. If you're looking to get grassroots fabric pots and and or living bed living soil beds, um, Black Swallow is, is uh, Black Swallow Living Soils is, is your place to get that. Uh, so without further ado, I just uh, Tyler, let's uh, let's just jump right into it. And um, can you give a little bit of a story around this, this movement from from having you know these fabric pots to, to then moving into something like the the fabric um, uh, pots with the living soil liner? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, first of all, I got to thank you know Leighton Morrison. Uh, it's people like him specifically are the whole reason why we have successful customers. If we didn't have people like Leighton onto these programs and these shows, steering them and organizing them in the right ways, um, we wouldn't be where we're at today. So I just want to take a moment and thank Leighton. Um, you're an amazing guy, and I really love listening to your voice, too, on podcasts, man. You just got a powerful voice, and I love hearing it. So thank you, Leighton. You're an awesome guy. And well, you're, uh, making, you're, about, you're making me turn red, brother. <laughs> you deserve it. Yeah, you do deserve it, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're awesome, man. You deserve it. And, and Avi, great meeting you today. And thank you for being a big proponent in Living Soil. Um, we're a small family company. Uh, there's been times where we've been, been a little bit bigger and have like 30 employees and stuff like that, trying to fold and organize all of our pots and beds. Uh, but right now, uh, we're still a small family company out of Sacramento, California with nine employees. Actually, excuse me, eight right now, uh, including myself. Um, we've been making fabric pots. Uh, we first started selling them back in, I think, 2015 on uh, Craigslist here in Sacramento. We get to meet with some interesting people in Walmart parking lots and stuff like that. We were just doing whatever we can to get into the, the cannabis industry because people were asking us if we can make pots. Um, we always did custom stuff. We've always done, you know, cut and sewn products where I need something crazy and ridiculous. And we're like, dude, we're doing it. No problem. Uh, that's always been our mentality, our model, our mind is we're here to make what you need and we're going to do it efficiently and we're going to do it at a good cost, the best we can afford to. Uh, and that's why we got into the living soil stuff is we've been so open and just wanting to, here, bring it to us, bring it to us and we'll do it kind of attitude. And um, people told us how much normal fabric pots suck. They are yeah. actually, you know, normal events up in, in Humboldt. You know, you'd have a hundred people that love you and love your fabric pots. You have one or two dreadhead guys that come over and be like, you know what? These things, they suck. And we're like, what? Everybody loves these things, man. You're just like the outliner. You're the crazy guy. But he was the smart one knowing that these things don't, don't do well for soil. You know, it's like they were originally created for trees to grow trees faster. And then we just jumped into it with the cannabis industry and started going crazy with them. You know, and, and uh, where it found out with the, the living soil liner is we had a customer that was wrapping the outside of their pots with saran wrap. Mm. Um, and then they 
had mushrooms pop up in the first 24 hours. And because he'd been pumping in all this biology, inoculating the soil, feeding it, doing compost teas, doing all this stuff, but nothing was happening. He actually wrapped the outside of the container with the saran wrap and boom, you had mushrooms pop up. Boom, we had a different moisture level in the soil that can actually allow these things to, to proliferate. So it was all there. It just did, wasn't given the environment and the moisture levels it needed to thrive and survive. Um, so we, we started looking at, you know, um, I'd say the most iconic situation that really got us into this is Steve Cantwell uh, brought us into his facility in Nevada in Pahrump. And he's like, man, you got to help me get rid of these plastic liners on the outside of my beds. Like, you know, I'm building another facility. I want to do it with all this liner. So literally within a week, I should sent him up a sample and he put it into his like little trial room. Uh, he's still using the beds with the saran wrap. We still hasn't, hasn't dealt with that, but you know, we've gone through the evolution of many things and he's got some, some ideas for that room. Cause he really wants to get to a hundred cycles of soil. Mm. That is, is truly his goal there. Um, so that's kind of like the evolution of things. You know, we've had other really great proponents like, um, Scott from Crescent Soil Services, he's the one who like really kind of threw it in our face is like, dude, this is like a problem. You got to fix it. So in between Steve Cantwell and uh, uh, Scott from Crescent Soil Services, we've kind of, you know, dialed in kind of how that should work. Um, and right now we're still doing a lot of stuff, man. Like this is in its infancy. Uh, you know, um, we've got other things we're experimenting with, like, this is evolving. It's still moving. Like I, I personally have a raised bed that I'm doing that has a full sidewall liner, no gap at the bottom, mm -hmm. and it's holding a lot more moisture. Um, you know, we're doing uh, sacks now to hold soil for Steve Cantwell. Uh, we're doing uh, windrow covers. You know, we're doing a lot of really interesting stuff. But a lot of that is just because we need to survive and we need to keep our people working. We're a small family company, so expanding out and uh, playing and, along with the evolution of things is how we're going to survive. And, 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 and like you said, um, one of the challenges that you're having would be the fact that you've had such a high quality product. This could last 18, 20 years. Um, so, so your repeat customers um, are few and far between unless they're expanding and, 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 you know, like, like Steve, you know, getting bigger. And, and I, I see that as, you know, a, a testament to the quality and the choice that you actually did to 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 choose the, the materials that you're using, because not all fabric pots are, are definitely uh, created equally. And, and uh, you know, our, our my, my clients up here are, are just, you know, praising that. Yeah, the fabrics American made. I think we're probably one of the, the only suppliers that are using actual American made fabric from the state of Georgia. Um, our same fabric uh, is exclusively made just for grassroots because we have drainage uh, specifications that we want and thickness specifications. And actually, uh, the thickness specifications come into our employees and how they work with it and how easy it is for them to handle the materials. So it being thicker is, is easier for them. Great for the customer, too. Um, but it's uh, American-made fabric, and it's the same fabric that the U.S. military uses for their HESCO barriers, uh, which have been tried and true in the desert for over 20 years, taking bullets. So if it can handle that, it can handle anything a, a, an LED light can throw at it, that's for sure. That's great. Um, so, of course, our, our show's the, the soil matters, and um, so let's start just jumping into the soil. Now, uh, if, if you've listened to Layton, when I talk about, you know, super soils, Leighton often will correct me and calls them low tension soils, right? So when when we when 
what he refers to as a low tension soil are those your, your just add water super soils that are peat perlite compost type material as opposed to one that actually contains a lot of sand silt and clay more like the horizontal systems and i have clients who use both you know i mean uh, clients yeah. who are using the, the grassroots fabric pots or beds in a horizontal system as well as this you know the low tension super soil mixes um what do you want to share some of your experiences with some of your customers uh, of of how they're filling up their um their beds and or pots yeah i mean now because of, of Leighton, his his extensive education he's putting out there i have customers calling me now saying okay we're doing this horizontal system i need these beds and i need this size i need this specification and i need them yesterday and some of these people they're so like red set dead like ready to go and i don't even get a chance to talk to them because they're like i'm here to give them, place my order let's do this they're like their confidence level they've been through the trials they've been through what they're setting up so um it's kind of now different people used to call us and say okay well i'm either trying to price out doing a synthetic grow or i'm going to do a living soil grow give me the numbers and we're going to figure it out now it's kind of like okay i'm doing a living soil grow and now i'm going to do this specific style of living soil because now we have these different styles and these different niches that are coming out in my mind we have multiple different styles out there that people are doing in living soil You've got the guys who will never touch a bottle and they have to ferment all of their own nutrients and they have to make all their own soil. And they're so gung ho with that. They become an expert in every single one of those different areas. And I think that's that's amazing. You know, and I think um, you've got the other group of people that are doing the horizontal system that are trying to make sure that they are overcoming issues that they think they that they've seen other people have. So um I think what I'm experiencing with our customers calling in is is changing, is evolving. And um, I'm going to say this several times in this podcast, this is in its infancy. You know, like mm -hmm. we think we've got this figured out. I, I think there's so much more data that all these people are building up. And it's like the, the thing is, we just got to get these people together and get them to lay out all of this information so we can start figuring out what the, the best pathways forward are. You know, that's why we did our, our Living Soil Summit is last year is like, okay, we got to dip our toes into bringing these people together and bringing some of these educators together. And uh, now we feel confident with it and we feel like we can take the Living Soil Summits to a whole nother level and be involving a lot more educators. So that's my goal is to bring all these cool people together and get these guys in a room and get all the people that are trying to figure this out that be able to answer them questions. That's got my personal life goal. So I, I, and I think that's what we're trying to do even with the soil matters. And it's so important um, to, to bring people together, but at the same time, be respectful of that, you know, this plant and nature just so many different ways of growing and that we can, we can grow in some amazing crops with very different techniques uh, and still still produce a, a phenomenal product at the end. Um, do you want to, Tyler, do you want to just share a little bit about, like you had mentioned that you're thinking of, of bringing that living soil liner right down to the, to the bottom and not leave that gap. Do you want to describe a little bit of how the, the actual structure of a, of a fabric pot and or bed looks like? Because I know there's that impermeable bottom. Yeah, kind of got a little... 
diagram behind me if I can figure out the right way to get my body out of the way here. Ah, I'm like a Roomba, right? I was like a Roomba for a minute there. Um, so uh, this is our living soil liner where we've got a liner on the side and the water is gonna be able to come down and, and in there and travel down and exit the gap at the bottom. Um, now, when we first did, did versions of this, we actually did do it originally with a liner all the way to the bottom. We didn't release that to the public because what's the biggest general problem people have with cultivation? Overwatering. Over <laughs> yes. They, yeah, it's like, yeah. So it's like if we bring that liner all the way down to the bottom, the only drainage they're going to have is at the bottom of the pot. And if you set your pot directly on concrete or a solid flat surface, where's your drainage going to go? How is that natural? You know, like um, the, the goal I always tell all of our customers is we never want to uh, inhibit drainage. We never want to have a, a soaky swamp, you know, a, a wet environment, you know, because then your microbes are going to bring nothing but water and, and no oxygen and you're going to change your, your biology in the soil. Um, so having that gap at the bottom was designed to, if you overwater, you have a drainage area. Um, I also use that drainage gap at the bottom. I always feel it to see if it's dry or if, see if it's wet. Uh, that, that little gap at the bottom that has no liner, that should always kind of be like a little moist area, you know, in, in my opinion. Uh, that means you're saturating the soil correctly. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I think moisture meters or moisture probes you know, stuff like that are, are great to be able to use. Um, hopefully I didn't get too off track though, but no, that's no, no, it, kind it, of... So, so now tell me why, why you're starting to revisit the idea of perhaps taking that living soil uh, liner to the bottom now. I think that's going to be more of an advanced technique. Somebody who has been using their same living soil system for a long time and they're really comfortable with moisture levels. Okay. Or let's say you've got a, a soil mix that's all peat, cocoa, uh, vermiculite, and it's like really airy and really just really fluffy. And maybe you don't have enough compost in it. Um, I personally experienced some of this, and that's why I, I got this bed. I got some soil from Kraft Farmer. He's mm -hmm. kind of famous on, on social media here in California, but he had a living soil grow in Calaveras County that got shut down. He was given 45 days to clear everything off of his site. I showed up with a trailer and pulled, you know, five, six yards of soil off of this property and took it to my own property and, and grew there. And his soil is very arid, very, uh, very loose. Like there's pretty much no compost in it. It's like a, a, a media. So um, it was so dry and so, so airy that I'm like, okay, like this is going to be really hard to keep this saturated. So in my mind, I just created, I was like, okay, let's do a living soil bed with no gap at the bottom. And I'll just water it heavier with my my irrigation system and see if I can keep it at the same moisture levels as my other soil. Uh, it's kind of a nightmare now. I wish I never would have did that uh, right. because now I have three different beds and all three of them have different soils and different moisture levels, and it's it's insane. But we're getting through it. I uh, I sent uh, Ken a little video of my garden before this and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, you know I'm going to turn it over to Layton. Um, yeah, I, I just had one question, and I'm sorry to rewind it, but can you tell us what the fabric actually is made of? Or is oh, that yeah. Yeah, it starts out uh, as like little plastic tan beads, okay. like just little, little like pellets. And then what they do is they melt it and they stretch it into fibers, um, and it comes out to where it's like this thick, like super thick, thick and fluffy. And the real difference in between our fabric and everybody else 
is we have it heat set on both sides. So when we roll it and press it and compress it, both of these rollers are heated to a proper temperature that they have. Because normal fabric uh, from, let's say, um, a really dumb pot. I don't want to put the name out there, so I'm going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you did perfect. That was, that was perfect. <laughs> okay, okay, good. Um, so that has a fluffy side on the inside of the fabric. It's like kind of fluffy, and they say that's to grab the roots. Well, roots don't need to be grabbed. It's a marketing ploy. Um, our fabric is is hard on both sides, so it has more strength, and it doesn't want to separate. If it's heat set on both sides, that's what it is. So it's a, a non-woven uh polypropylene so it's considered a geo textile that's why it works so well I, I always wondered that and i and the last time we talked i forgot to ask you but i was worried it might be proprietary so um thank you for that that's that's really interesting and that's again why it lasts so long um so well done yeah, we try to put out the best quality we can, and it kind of bites you in the butt sometimes, and your customer doesn't call you back for 10 years, but, you know, <laughs> hey. <laughs> Dude, I have an anti-business model myself. I come in, I take care of your property for two two or three applications, and then hopefully you tell a neighbor. <laughs> exactly. You know, we can't afford any national advertising or you know, you guys say all these garden magazines, they want to, now they're getting into living soil. So they contact us and they want us to feature our products for $10,000 and stuff like that. And we're like, if you end up posting about us, great. Cause we can't afford that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, you know, we would be winning all these awards and doing all this stuff in the cannabis industry. We can't pay for that. All of that stuff is paid for. It's, this is all a pay for play scenario where the big companies get the best best spots and we're not a big company so no I, and, and you're doing well you know having scott and steve and and uh brandon uh you know those, those are you know great people who are going to be strong advocates for, for the product um and, and i will throw throw back to layton but i'm just going to go back to just the, those low tension soils those uh the super soils that are peat perlite compost a cocoa coir mixed with with um, a lot of organic ingredients now like um like a kiss organic soil or a soham living soil um when you when you uh tell your your clients who who might want to be growing in a, either a fabric pot or a, a bed uh do you just go in and recommend just putting it all all in fill it with soil or do you recommend a bottom layer of uh much like the horizontal system where you have gravel and stones and stuff um now now we kind of now it's kind of educating the customer in the different niches that are it's about um you know it's 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 up to the customer to dive into these different areas and go in i can sit there for hours and try to educate people but it's not efficient for a small business in a time um i used to spend hours on the phone with people and just blab my mouth about every little thing that i can imagine but i i just don't have the time or the efficiency to do that. Um, so it's it's more kind of like, you know, a lot of times customers, they call in, they already know their path. They're not looking to me to be the expert. Um, I'm more kind of asking them off of my own curiosity and trying to selfishly kind of gain knowledge and improve my own grow in a certain sense. I mean, that sounded really selfish, but I, a lot of times these people, I don't get to drill into or be influential on what they're doing they're more on a on a war path of we're going to get this done and this is the direction that we're going um a year or two ago we'd get a lot of people that just didn't know what they're doing and they wanted to do this living soil thing 
Um, so I don't want to be like, I don't mean to be like dancing around that question or anything like that, but, um, you know, I, I try to stay away from suggesting what somebody could do because I'm not the one implementing it. You know, it's kind of important for them to, to go to those different areas and find those different things. You know, if you want to tear into my podcast and be an, ep- or an expert on, on what, you know, I have the experts that I've brought on there, that's great. And I think you need to be tearing into several different influencers and knowledge seekers. And, you know, honestly, like, I, I think a truly a good living soil system is going to have parts and pieces from a lot of different areas. You know, maybe you have a build a soil product. Maybe you've got um, a soilscape solutions foliar spray pack. Maybe you've got organics or live, you know, and their their program over there, you know. I mean, it's it's just everybody's going in all these different ways and these different paths. If if you come to me for 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 suggestions, I'm trying to stay away from answering questions about the soil. And I'm more going to ask you about, you know, what was your sap testing looking like or your tissue testing? Is that telling you that everything is being properly uptake from your soil system? Do you need to make any adjustments from there? Because that's something we can look at mid-flower before we go into flower. We pull sap, pull, pull all leaves. We send them out to the lab in Michigan. On Monday, on Friday, we get our results back. And then we know if we need to do any corrective foliar spraying or any top dressing. So, you know... I, I look at these new tools that consultants were using three or four years ago and were secretive about that now every single grower should be using, even if you're in just a tent, you know, so I, I'm truly about you need to maximize whatever system you're using and please to God be using science to that and don't be using some random person's post off of Instagram. That's probably bro science. Um, I am really into the people that can apply science on all levels. Um, I visited a famous grower up here in the hills, uh, Nuggy Nick. Uh, Nuggy Nick grows the biggest plants I've ever seen. This is the biggest cannabis plant I've ever been next to. These things are 15 feet wide. This is like Mendo dope looking kind of stuff. And he he's like, come on up, come up, check it out, bring up all your tools. And, you know, we pulled, pulled a soil sample. I put my pH meter in there. We checked his PPMs, his EC. And he's like, oh, man, I'm only at like 500 PPMs and these plants are giant. Like, you know, and it's cool. He put all this out on social media and did a post and said, thank you for Tyler coming up and checking this stuff out. Because I would normally just would have cruised through the season and not like looked at some of this data, you mm-hmm. know. So now now he's feeding heavier. Now he's like, you know, going for it. So um, I more want to be on the end of it you know, of like, how can I get my customers with whatever soil mass and configuration they're using to go from a mediocre cannabis to that award-winning cannabis? And and I feel like the only way of doing that is applying science. And, I mean, and you, uh, you can get there by luck, but yeah. And we'll do a, another a shout out there to the Living Soil podcast. I mean, that's a, a great example of, of bringing on um, a lot of um, science-minded folks uh, to share that. So uh, that's uh, uh, another good way of, of getting getting some good information out there quickly. Thank you. you. Know, Thank it's, you. It's, it's really been an interesting last three years. And I think that you kind of hit it, hit it on the head, Tyler, when you said that, you know, it's not, you're not getting the same clients you were before. And, you know, a lot of people have educated, a lot of these podcasts have helped people you know, get educated to a point where they're not listening to the bro science anymore. I don't get dumb questions like I used to. 
Um, yes. it, it's, it's, it's really changed tremendously in just a matter of a couple, you know, two, three years. So, um, you know, all the more reason to, yeah, keep moving forward, uh, keep playing with these techniques and methodologies because we can all learn more. This isn't the end of it by any means. Yeah, you know? yeah it's but, kind of like that thing. It's like once you think you know everything and then you realize you know nothing yep. kind of thing, it's like, yeah, you know, know. <laughs> <laughs> we know nothing. We know nothing at all. <laughs> hey, um, Ken, do you think you can uh, queue up the, the garden videos again and maybe we can um, take a look at some of those and perhaps, Tyler, you can comment a little bit about some of your practices and and, and what you were uh, doing yeah, to I plant my plants way too early in the year and they're getting way too fucking big. They're touching the top of the greenhouse and it's an, it's an absolute annoyance to me. Um, every year I try to plant a little bit later because the soil biology and my soil is getting more progressive. So uh, this year I planted on July 5th. The previous year I, I planted on the 1st and it's still too early. Plants are they're too big. It's too much to manage. I can't see the top of the plants. I mean, it's successful. It's super happy. Like I'll pull what I need to pull of off of that garden, but it's, it's, it's also becoming a hassle. You know, when plants get so big, you can't walk through and see the whole plant. It's at the point now I've got to get a ladder. And last year when I did that, I fell on a plant and broke a plant. You know no. what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's great. It's, it's satisfying to have a big, big, beautiful plants and them doing great and then praying and, and doing great. But it's, it's also, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hassle. Just me and my dad. So. You know. Was the cultivar the issue? Is it just too, too stretchy of a plant or. Um, I am probably feeding a little hard. Um, I'm getting a lot of microbes um, with our program. I'm feeding every week. I'm, I'm doing a, I've got three, uh, rows that are 48 feet long. So they're about 10 yards of soil a piece. Um, doing a, a 275 gallon tote with our microbial inoculants and our microbe foods. And I'm dishing them out to that every week. Um, I'm thinking next year, I'm going to go back to every other week and, and slow down a little bit and then plant a little bit later. Ultimately, I want like two pound plants that are a little bit above my head. That's like the easiest thing for us to manage and us to work for. Um, so it's great when it's like a big bumper crop and all that kind of stuff. But the bigger the crop is, the more issues you have. So um, I don't care how how good they are, you know, up there in the California hills, we run into issues with weather and humidity and rain this year. And, um, you know, the trials and tribulations of being an outdoor grower in California, man. It's like if you haven't been there grinding your teeth on it, you're going to lose. And I've lost quite a few years and I think I'm finally figuring it out. So. Well, at least you have a you know high house, so you don't have to worry so much about the, the rain coming. Yeah, if it was up to me, I think uh, I would leave my cover off until October and throw it on there, just kind of the end or the flowering cycle, because I love just having the open air and the more breeze and everything. I've got some solar fans. Uh, I was able to get some some solar fans from a company in Santa Rosa four or five years ago. They've since gone out of business, and I haven't been able to recommend where people get solar fans since then for an affordable price. Um, but I run solar fans. I run four of them all running the same direction was my change this year as I had them facing each other, which was pointless. Now I have them all in one direction, blowing all of the air out. Um, but uh, I've got a row of GMO. I've got a row of hash burger. And then I've got a row of jet fuel gelato that looks retarded. Um, it's just like, it's, it literally is just growing really weird and stupid and it probably hasn't gotten the right, 
levels of nutrients throughout the cycle. So it's it's just kind of growing weird. Uh, but what you're looking at right there closest to us is the GMO, and it's it's just going crazy. Um, I could be watering too heavy. Could be a reason kind of for that extra stretch. You ever thought of uh, training? Just lashing a fishing line around the top of that and bending it over and then just slowly tightening it every day. Yep. Every plant has kind of gotten that now because I came back and that they went from being like four or five inches from the top to now they're like they're close and they're doing this. Um, yeah. I just, I guess I haven't learned from my previous year's mistakes and it's I'm still learning. <laughs> it's a journey, dude. It ain't a lesson. It's a journey. <laughs> And uh, do you want to do you want to share? Uh, uh, we we did look at the microbe food there. I think Ken threw threw it up there. Do you want to tell tell us a little bit more about what what other products uh, you're carrying there? And and uh, what's yeah, it? yeah. Uh, years ago, uh, we were chasing down Elaine Ingham because she was pre bottling compost tea and shipping it out to people. It was super expensive and it wasn't economical. So we started looking, is there other people that can pre-brew compost tea and are doing this on a commercial scale? And luckily here in Sacramento was a company that had been pre-brewing compost teas for over 20 years. In fact, uh, the Olsons, the family name, they came out with the first registered humic acid inoculant product on the market 20 years ago in collaboration with NASA. And that was specifically to digest poop on the space station. So those are the people that are brewing our microbial teas. Um, they've got a really cool facility out there in West Sac in Clarksburg, California, right there in wine country. Um, he's got about eight to 10 worm bins, which are 275 gallon totes with a bunch of holes drilled in them. And each tote has an irrigation system and gets watered. So we keep the worms cold and happy and wet. Um, and then uh, the worm leachate that comes off of that is a secret product that we only use internally. Um, but, uh, we take those, the worm castings and there's five different worms, five different species of worms that we use. Um, David Olson, he's been doing commercial agriculture for, for over 40 years. He goes and collects soil samples from different sites and adds them into his mother culture as well. So, uh, we're using a mother culture from over 200 different living soil farms as well and 200 different sites all around the world. So he collects these samples and has them geno tested. Uh, there's a company here in Sacramento um, that will test your soil or test your biology and do a DNA sequencing on it. So we can see what species are in there. Um, and we can identify, is this a, a positive biology or a bad biology or, or what direction is it going in and what pathogens are there? Uh, so that's how he evaluates what, you know, uh, what we add into the mother culture in a certain sense. Now, the big difference, the whole reason we're working with him and the whole reason we're doing this is because when he feeds those worms, he's using a complex mixture of microbial foods. Uh, these, this complex mixture of microbial foods has over 40 different minerals has um, a total of about 200 different microbial foods for wor for, for microbes. Um, so we feed the that to the worms. In turn, the worms digest it. And then in turn, he's got some great worm castings sitting there. So we take those worm castings and then they brew it in a giant container, you know, a 2,500-gallon brewer. Now, um, so that's the, the big difference with our product line is we supply the microbial foods that we use to breed and build these cultures from the beginning because our goal is to give you the liquid microbial inoculant have you put it in your soil but also keep that alive 
keep that colony going because we're giving you the same microbial food mixture to a tea that we give it in the beginning to build those cultures. So I, I think that's the, the point that's missing with a lot of these microbial mark, uh, uh, inoculants on the market is they're giving you microbial inoculant, but they're not giving you food to feed them. Would we ever send troops out into the military world without a 72-hour pack, 48-hour pack minimum? You know, why are we putting microbes into our food, into our soil mass without providing them with food that they can feed for at least the 24, 48 hours so they can establish a life and start breeding and you know, making love, doing thing, you know. So uh, you look inside to, there, dude. I don't know yeah. what happened to your camera. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you're you got a phone call or something. And there we go. No, okay. No, I can. Now flip it back again. Yes. There you go. Don't touch okay. it. <laughs> well, you know, you hit, on, you hit on a really, really important component that that I've always preached and uh, very few people have really kind of understood it that that is the function of sand salt and clay if you do not have them in your soils you, you got you have no choice but to feed the microbes because they can't live on you know peat peat's got no nutritional value your compost that was that was kind of like an uproar moment that we had at the soil summit was we had Bill McKibbins from Logan Labs referring to living soil as um, uh, a soilless media. And like everybody in the room was like, bro, I don't use a soilless medium. I use living soil. And like everybody was like going crazy. And Steve Cantwell had to stand up. And he's like, okay, everybody calm down. Hold on. Let me straighten this out and broke down what you just said. We got to have sand, silt, and clay for it to actually be considered a soil. Otherwise, we're using something that's engineered. And I think that's what a lot of people don't really truly understand. Did And, and did I say that right, Leighton? Um, I mean, yeah, you did. I mean, engineered soil can mean a lot of things. I mean, right now I'm engineering a mix for a plant called protein. Um, and it's a 300 million year old plant. It doesn't like a lot of nutrition, likes a lot of drainage. Um, I've got to be very careful about uh, phosphorus and phosphorus solubilizing bacteria. So, I mean, anything can be engineered. Typically engineered soils were what we would use on high performance sports turf, which is 99% sand, 1% organic matter. And then they would use nit nitrates. And of course that 1% would disappear. <laughs> so it was a sand and then they'd wonder why things weren't growing so well. So a lot of things can be engineered. And I think, you know, going back to a better understanding of low tension soils versus um, true soils, that that's the key to the whole thing. I mean, and I, I I think it was basically the misunderstanding of the way that old, old growers, OGs of Humboldt used to do it because they would dig a hole in the ground and then put their potting mix in. So they were in a soil because, yeah, you can always have an O-horizon at the top, but you can also have the O-horizon deep as long as the roots can get out beyond that into the, into the sand, salt, and clay to mine it, then you're, you're fine. And so – when they were forced to go indoor by camp, they never thought, oh shit, man, there was an interaction from the roots beyond just the potting soil that we used to get them started. Mm -hmm. And that's where that, that whole lack of genetic potential really became a big issue. I mean, they had pests like you couldn't believe because they were all feeding it with newts and making the plant super attractive to pests. And, yeah, it was you know, pretty much created the whole pesticide industry that we have now for cannabis in a certain sense because they took away the what was protecting them. So now the only thing you got to lay back on is, unfortunately, at the time was chemicals. So. 
Exactly. Exactly. So that was the missing piece. And, you know, I'll be honest, and I tell this all the time is when I first said at the very first regen conference, oh, you guys need to be looking more toward biomimicry and using horizons, using these different um, sandstone clays in your mixes. And there, of course, they made fun of me and told me, oh, what do you know? You're, you, you don't know shit. We're, we're the cannabis growers. But I think finally that door has been broken down because of enough people have tried it and then been extremely successful using it. And so maybe, you know, in the future, instead of, you know, doing just a horizontal bed, maybe they'll just add some clay and sand and silt in with their compost. I've had people call me back or, or hit me up about trying that and they've, it works. It definitely helps the situation. Is it perfect? What is perfect, right? Tell me what perfect is. The only thing I yes. can see is nature, but even nature has all different circumstances. So yeah, you, and I can see it myself. Like I added a bunch of clay and native soil to some of my living soil beds in front of my house. And I've got a way higher retention now of water. Um, and honestly, I, I go several days without watering them, which was just impossible before with based off of the soil mixture I had. So Yeah, and that was the other piece that that I don't think even to this day, a lot of the people that are using um, these low tension soils understand is that the microbes living on these low tension soils will go insist. And when they insist, they create a waxy coating, which prevents water from penetrating. You know, so that you go back to that old scenario. Well, now I got to overwater and water, water, water. Well, now you turn your bottom anaerobic and the top is hydrophobic and you're back to square one again. So, you know, that's where adding these, you know, at least some sand, silt, and clay will help to mitigate that low tension and at least create a middle tension where you can have uh, water moving through osmosis. <coughs> and be able to have all of the world of microbes there to benefit you. Why would yes. you want to put yourself in one area where you only have one, three or four species of bacteria, you know, benefiting you? You know, yeah, that's not living soil, you know, living soils. Let's get every piece of diversity possible in their thriving, you know? Yep, absolutely. 100%. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, we're both on the, on the same sheet of music here and thank you for, you know, talking to your clients about these kinds of ideas too, because again, it's trying to raise the bar for everybody, not just for an elite few. You know? Yeah, I think I'm going to have to do a good 150 episodes of the Grassroots Living Soil podcast to get through everything efficiently. You know, it's going to be like a university training course in the end. But, um, you know, hey, there's a lot of stuff out there and there's a lot of things. And, you know, in three or four years from now, we have this conversation again. It's going to be so much more advanced. Like I'm looking forward to that conversation three or four years from now and how we've improved things even further, you know. So, yeah. So maybe can you tell the audience some of the thoughts that you have as far as improving your your products? Yeah. Oh, man. I think um, there's a bunch of like little things that we would love to look at. Um, you know, we have an open door as far as I think that's the coolest, most exciting part about my job is I get some, I don't know, maybe they're stoned out of their mind and 30,000 feet, but they get these ideas and they call us and we've like, we harboring these people to give us these ideas, I guess, because a couple times a week, I'll get somebody that wants me to do an octagon shaped bed or they want me to do, 
you know, this, this wild, crazy, cool design. And you know what? I am going to chase it down 100% for them. If it's something that we can do, I can't do an octagon bed. So don't bring me those weird shapes and sizes and triangles and trapezoids. We're not going down that path. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, we're starting to do soil sacks for Steve Cantwell. And he's trialing them right now because he has to buy compost like once a year. Let's say, okay, if you need compost for your facility or soil for your facility, you save a lot of money if you buy a lot of it at once because you got to pay for shipping. You got to pay for that whole process and the manufacturing of it. So, um, you know, he's like, why would I buy all this expensive stuff and then store it in a piece of plastic for six months? That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, you know, um, the bottomless pots, I think that has been like a, just a rager. Uh, we're using some of our, you know, which stuff that we used to throw away. Now we get to make them into bottomless pots and have less stuff going into our garbage, man. I mean, so people are treating living soil like we would treat the the guys that did Rockwell and Cocoa cubes on a bigger cube on a bigger cube and a bigger cube and this like pyramid shape thing. You know, people are doing that with living soil now or we're starting out a clone in a one gallon bottomless pot and they're bottom watering it. And I have people doing this horizontal system in the bottomless pots, by the way. So there's people that feel like horizontal is available to any size container. Um, and they're getting the roots to populate to the bottom to where you've got a big fat layer of roots because they're bottom watering it. And then they're taking that bottomless pot and just setting it on top of the soil, not digging any holes, not disturbing the soil at all. And these people are chasing down that like, I am a no-till grower. You know, like that is their passion because I'm just going to take that plant and set it on top of the soil. I'm not going to dig a hole. And it takes about four days for the plant to get fully rooted in there. So for the first four or five days, you got to water the bottomless pot. But once it gets rooted in there, it's fully Velcroed to the soil and it's there. So um, the bottomless pots, gosh, we just haven't. That's the only thing right now we can't keep in stock. Um, you Again, know, not, that was a great idea. my friend. That was just an absolute genius move. Uh, and and I got a, a Steve Cantwell again. That's that's all Steve. Uh, and his goal was I've got to transplant this facility with just me and my wife. You know, everybody's off. We got to get going, and we got to get. You know, I I need to transplant a four by eight bed in five minutes because it's just the time it takes me to set them on top of the soil. So, um, you know, great credit there. Um, you know, we give credit wherever credit's due, obviously. Um, but uh, the microbe, uh, microbe and plant food program, um, I'm really trying to change the game uh, because we have a wettable powder mycorrhiza that is accompanied with microbe foods. So a big issue I see in the industry, or a big wasteful thing is people dusting the hole with mycorrhiza and then planting their plant in it. Well, you have to wait for the roots to touch that. And it's been so many times where I've done that and I've dug it up in the end and I've still found dry mycorrhiza powder still sitting there on the bottom of my Rockwell cube. Because for a while, the popular thing is you take your wet Rockwell cube and you dip it in some of the mycorrhiza and then you put it in the hole. Or then it became, we dusted it. So with our program, the microbe and plant food program, we have a wettable powder mycorrhiza and we want you to put that in a five gallon bucket with water and some of our microbial inoculants and we want you to dip your roots in there to inoculate your roots. And if you time this properly and your root ball is kind of dry, it's going to act like a sponge. And you're going to force those micronutrients and those mycorrhiza and the trichoderma into the root ball. You're going to immediately create contact right then and there. And then you're going to plant the plant into the soil. Um, we've seen tremendous success with doing root dip inoculations. 
So please, anybody who's got mycorrhiza powder, you can make it liquid and you can dip your roots in it and you can make that one pound, five pound, whatever it is, last for a really long time. So anytime I talk about this, it gets flagged, it gets reported, it gets deleted because obviously um, these companies want you to use as much of their product as possible. Uh, being wasteful is good for them. It's good for the bottom line. So, you know, with our microbial inoculant program, we're trying to preach efficiency and preach, you know, how long can we use these products? Like, you know, that's why our microbial inoculant, uh, or excuse me, microbe foods are powder. And there's no liquid involved with them. So you can keep them powder and keep them dry and use them for up to years. You know, as long as it's a powder dried or a dry powder and has it clumped up, it's good to go. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of advancements with inoculating, um, with looking at microbial species that are, you know, solubilizing certain nutrients. Um, and there's definitely a lot of evolution to be had out there. You know, it's kind of why this industry is so exciting right now in a certain sense. Oh, you know, I, I, are you splitting it at um, one hour? Uh, yeah, I, I believe Tyler is as well. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Damn. <laughs> I, I wonder if we should go to our questions now. Well, that you get probably a good idea. Although I have the first question, Tyler, have you uh, have you actually tested your spores to see what colonization or not colonization, but what counts you're getting for for your yes. microbiome? Fantastic. Yes. And is yeah. it consistent? Yes, yes, definitely. Um, I haven't looked at those reports in a while, um, and I believe it's from Earthfort. Uh, really? We've got several tests. We've got a bunch of different tests from a bunch of different places. Um, so maybe I can dial in and, and send you some of that information and get yeah, your opinions yeah. on what you I think know. about it. Yeah, I'm always I'm always interested in understanding, you know, these products that are coming out on the market, because again, at the end of the day, competition is good for everybody, keeps everybody in check. Um, so yeah, definitely send them to me when you can. All right, let's, let's hop on uh, questions. We only have four, so we should be able to get through it pretty quick. It sounds like we should do this again, man. If we don't have enough time, we're just going to have to do another episode. Yes, by all means. Well, we have nobody booked for next week, Tyler. So uh, how's next Monday sound? Uh, Mondays are, yeah, we can make all make Mondays work. It's kind of our busiest day here, but the afternoons are slow, so we'll make it happen. Okay. Well then you're booked for next Monday guys in the chat. Now, you know, Tyler, first question, uh, where can we, or when can we see handles on seven gallon pots and up? You can just call us and it's $2 for two handles. So handles, we consider it custom. Uh, we'll do handles on whatever pot, whatever you want. Um, it's $2. So you just got to call us. All right, I would you recommend can fill out the custom form. I would recommend four handles. So you can slide the handles through and pick them up together. If you only have two, you're going to hit your tree or your branch when you try to pick it up with a stick. Because it's ah. way why way easier to move with with two sticks mm. and two people than one person trying to pick it up, especially if, if you're using horizons. You so can have as many moving. handles as you want, Leighton. I'll, I'll put it in the <laughs> I'll, I'll line the I'll line the whole top with handles, man. No problem. <laughs> okay, and the next one, Tyler. Let's talk uh, convertible pots with removable liners as needed for moisture control indoors. It's been done before. Uh, Steve Cantwell had us venture down that path. We did wraps. 
So I've got one sitting in my office for a four by eight bed where it's just the liner and fabric and it's got three feet of Velcro and it's got a male and female. So you can wrap it like a belly wrap around it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, we've, we've done it before. I should probably advertise this stuff more often, but that's why we do these, these calls so I can remember this stuff. <laughs> and, and, and then you can put it on your website and put it as an option. It's like those handles that you need to have you on your website as an option. Yeah. Yeah. We actually are, are working on that and it broke our website. We did that three months ago and it broke our website. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, but we're actually trying to get a machine. Uh, it's called a box X stitcher. So pretty much we we put the pot in there, you put the handle, you press a button and it does a, a stitch around the edges and then a Z pattern in the middle. Yeah. And then you move it and it's it is so fast. Right now we've got to physically mark out on each container with chalk. Okay, we want this handle here, this handle here, this handle here, and you look at it. Okay, that looks right. And then they go and take the time to sew that's that pattern. It takes a long time. So there's a reason we don't have that. We're not fully equipped to do masses of it yet. But, um, you know, we, we definitely want to satisfy the needs of our customers. So you can fill out a bulk and custom request form. Uh, right now it says we've got a $200, $250 minimum. Ignore that. We're taking any size orders for whatever custom stuff you want. Um, so just fill out the custom form and we're going to give you a price. So the hard frustrating part is if you see if you buy a $10 product, whatever it is, we still got to charge it $19.95 for shipping because FedEx is still charging me for shipping. So yeah, that's yeah. just the, the hard part. Then the next one uh, would be how many times a year do you apply your biodynamic preparations? Oh man, I think, um, I actually base this kind of off of some of my soil testing. You know, when I get a soil test back and a saturated paste test back, it tells me what my decomposed plant matter is on a percentage basis in my soil. Um, when I started out with my soil, it was at like 28, 25%. And I was like, wow, you know, the goal is like 30%. So I, I'm kind of lacking life. I'm lacking biology. So I turned to science and it told me I've got not enough there. Um, you know, now this last year I pulled my, my saturated paste test from Logan labs and I had 68.5%, uh, microbial decomposed plant matter in my soil. So I've got a high amount of microbial material in there. I've got decomposed plant matter, got a lot of different things. So in that case, I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of raging here. Um, I see mycelium in my soil. I've had mushrooms pop up. This is the fifth year using the soil, fifth year using the same program that I've been using. So things are really getting consistent here. It's really starting to see some naturalities, but I'm human, so I fucked that up. But um, <laughs> <laughs> don't be a moron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't be a moron. Don't put more on. You know. <laughs> so how but, how you you went up in your organic matter to sixty seven percent? Yes, I, I went up, and that kind of told me that I've got a lot of biology in my out oh, camera thing happened again. Let me try the the flip flop. I'm not sure what's happening here, guys. It's your energy level, bro. Okay. There you go. There you go. Intense, intense, man. Are you top uh, with uh, compost every between every grow, or I mean, that's uh, before a before I plant, uh, my kind of my my process um, is in about January and February. I pull my soil samples with a coring tool. Um, and I test each bed separately. I've got three different beds. So I take an, a sample from each four by four square out of that bed and I put it in a, in a bucket, mix it together, take my two cup sample out of that. So I've got a spectrum of that bed. Um, 
And uh, I'm sorry, Leighton, what was, what and, was the... And you also use a mulch too, right? So, so you are adding some organic matter to the surface and it eventually gets out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's migrating down. I do a really cool process. We call it fish and chips for my mulch layer. So we take um, oak uh, chips, oak wood chips. Um, and uh, Steve Cantwell kind of told us in the last Soil Summit that uh, wood chips for smoking food seem to be the easiest and quickest source that he's able to get. So wood chips for smoking, you know, barbecuing. Um, so I mix, I'll, I'll do like three equal parts. I do like wood chips, oak wood chips specifically, um, rice holes, and then straw, three equal parts in a wheelbarrow. And I'll fill the wheelbarrow full of water. And I got these like big pavers and I'll put some pavers down on top of there. Cause I'm just really trying to saturate that mulch layer and get it wet. And in that process, I'm going to add in my microbial inoculants. So that'll be like the fungal dominant version of our microbial compost tea. Um, and I'll add microbe foods and I'll add mycorrhiza. But the most important part about that whole thing is some uh, fish products. So like whatever it's fish and shit or, you know, whatever, uh, anything I preferably like for me, if I'm going to use a fish product, I want it to be cold processed um and 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 not boiled or heated because then you lose a lot of that that really good stuff um so i've turned to like pacific row fish hydrolysate you know that's been a, a really popular one so i'm inoculating my mulch layer and i'll let it sit for 15 20 minutes something like that and that's usually sitting while i'm doing my planting so you know i've already pre-prepped a couple wheelbarrows with this kind of stuff and they're the fish and chips is it's chipping it's hanging out it's it's soaking it's doing its thing I plant my plants, I lay my irrigation lines back down. Next year, it'll probably be a blue mat system where I do a separate 12 foot section. Um, and uh, after we get my irrigation lines down, then we're putting our mulch layer down. Uh, and specifically, I was taught you never wanna do more than an inch of a mulch layer. Um, so after I plant, I do what I can to create a little bit of a concavement around the, the the plant so when we water it it gets that that you know fresh watering area but then i level out the rest of the soil make it nice evenly flat put my mulch layer down so i make sure i'm getting just about an inch um and then you can come back in about a week and that whole mulch layer is just consumed with mycelium mainly because of that fish uh you know is really adding the food that that, that mycorrhiza and those myceliums need to just go nuts um, then you kind of create this layer on the top of your soil that's holding moisture for that bottom couple of inches as well because that mycelium is going to go down. Um, so that's the fish and chips method. That's from David Olson, the guy who created our product line. Uh, he dives really deep into that on episode three of the Living Soil podcast of fish and chips and why you should be doing that inoculating your mulch layer. And he went into doing these really cool things of like doing these sections in the middle of a four by eight bed that were like six inches deep, five inches wide that were just like solid mulch. And then that whole area would just become a giant mycelium mat that's just holding moisture for the whole plant. So David's, he's a super geek about this stuff. So there's some really cool tips here. there. Yeah, we yeah. should. So I've, I've, I've coined David, is he is the microbe man. So whenever I promote him, whenever I do anything, it's David the microbe man. That's like the nickname I've given him. And it's, it's so far it's sticking and he loves it, so. Cool. Ken, um, yeah. reach out to Tyler and get his contact. We should add him on here. This guy is so cool. He holds patents for a for an aerial surveillance program that can scan plants to see their health and to see the different um, 
uh, uh, spectrums that they put off. He holds multiple different patents. He's he's one of God's gifts to cultivation, in my my opinion. Nice, nice. So that right. kind of a uh, uh, not uh, the last part of the comment, but uh, the mulch layer, etc. Um, GI wanted to know where can I buy small quantities of silt and have it delivered. I'm disabled and having problems finding silt. Well, he, he dude, hit me up. I got a I got an A horizon. I can send you. I'm doing this poaching mix, so I made a base A that I'm gonna amend for them. Um, so it will be sand silt clay and organic matter. Otherwise, you got to go to biodynamic compost makers, not the ones that are selling fluffy stuff. There's a guy out here, Weinbrandt Family Farms on the West Coast, and then there's another cat on the East Coast. I can't remember his name. Hit me up on your IG, and I'll try to find it for you. But they make silt. I mean, they make they just compost down to the point where it's just this greasy fine silt so that was part of the the conversation that the chat was having is silt is basically the the end of the compost uh pile basically is, is what's left is silt yep yep it's it's the finest particulate of organic matter left whether uh you find it in a river or at the base at the bottom of the compost pile but it's been broken down so much that there's only very few specialized bacteria that can break it down to the next level. So what Perpetual is saying here, so uh, to you, silt just means a soil structure with sediments from an organic matter with a certain size between sand, larger and clay, smaller particles. That's the way soil science describes it, but soil science, define sand, silt, and clay by their particulate side instead mm -hmm. of their physical properties. And I have a real problem with that because they say silt is, is mineral. Well, yeah, everything is fucking mineral, but the point is it was from organic matter. Rock is not from organic matter. Sand can be from organic matter if it's calcitic sand because that's basically coral reefs. And mm -hmm. those bacteria like a mollusk will build their shell or build their home, make it making it out of calcium. So when they die off, isn't it organic matter? You know, it, it gets deep, you guys. It gets really deep when you go down that rabbit hole. And I think that's why soil science has remained the same in definition of sand, silt, clay based on screen size, not on physical property. Yeah. And that's it for questions, guys. So um, I don't know if you guys have want to keep going after the hour or everybody's got a hard deadline. I got a few minutes I can spare. Nobody's banging on the door asking me to answer. <laughs> but Av has to run. <laughs> I got to go. And, uh, and I believe next week I'll be at the Grow Up Conference, so I may not be able to, to join in. Uh, pleasure. I will send you some contacts, Tyler, for some Canadian – grassroots fabric pot growers or fabric bed growers. And um, yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for looking forward to connecting Peace with out. you. Thanks for joining us, brother. Peace out. Have... All right. Well, um, yeah, I, I can definitely spend another couple of minutes too, but then I can get ahead on something because I was going to have to work till ridiculous tonight. So it's kind of good that we did end a little bit earlier. And Tyler, just want to say thank you, dude, for all, all that you have done uh, for the whole industry as well. I mean, you're definitely one yeah. of the pioneer educators out there protecting people from bro science. So big kudos to you.
Thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, just excited to see the success of our customers. Uh, your guys' success is our success. So it doesn't get any simpler than that. Agreed. 100%. Uh, well, was there anything else you wanted to tell us, Tyler, about upcoming things or events or uh, products or anything else? Um, at this moment, I think the main thing is um, we're promoting um, our sample pack for our biology. Um, we have a new uh, fungally dominant version of the compost tea that you can only get if you buy our sample pack on the website. So you get a full line of our products in small sample sizes. You get the wettable mycorrhiza powder. Yeah, there's the sample pack right there. You've got the fungally dominant compost tea on the right and then our normal compost tea. Um, and then we actually do have a five times concentrate version where they've just dehydrated out the water. So it's a lot thicker and it's five times concentrated. And that's what a lot of our commercial customers are starting to buy because of the, the per usage is a lot easier. And you're using like 10 mils per gallon compared to when you had to use like 50 to 60 mils per gallon. Um, so yeah, um, I think uh, having some diversity in your garden is great. You should get some, uh, you know, mammoth pea. You should get some compost from here. You should get some stuff from there. You should just be creating this, you know, collision of diversity. So, you know, let it work itself out in the soil, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, we've got some really cool products on our website. We've got a bunch of stuff. Uh, 45 gallon and 65 gallon shorty soil savers are at 50% off. Uh, there's a whole section of our website specifically dedicated to clearance. Um, so, you know, if you're looking at buying any products, I would go on there. Um, the last thing I want to say is our classic pots are really, really good without the liner for anybody doing outdoor stuff on the East Coast because you're so humid already. Mm -hmm. So that's one big tactic you'll see us doing in the future is if you're in a dry, arid climate outdoors, you really want a living soil pot or bed. And if you're in a really humid environment, you probably just want to go with the classic pot because you're going to get those moisture levels. So that, that is one big difference that we're seeing. And next time I revamp the website and you look at, okay, you know, what do I need? And it's like, okay, what environment are you in? You know, What's okay, let's match best? a product based <laughs> off of your environment. Yeah, yeah and, and if you're in an indoor environment like I am in, in Canada, it's a totally different situation again. Yeah, and we found that indoors you want the living soil liner. Um, I, we've got years, we haven't ever like broadcasted it, but I've been very vocal about it. Like people like Steve Cantwell, the moment he started wrapping his beds with that that plastic, his PG&E bills, his power bills went down. His dehumidifiers were running a lot less because that humidity was held into the soil mass. It wasn't just leaking out all into the room. So he's got years of data that he can release showing, okay, from this point, we're paying this much for our power bill because the dehumidifiers were running X amount of time per day. Now we're wrapping, we've got the liner, and then now we're down to this point because humidity levels are easier to manage. Nice. And that's good to know. Yeah, good information. Well, cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tyler, for coming on. We'll see you next Monday. Uh, playback uh, Monday. <laughs> yeah, playback Monday. Well, maybe we'll get into this this uh, question uh, from from Billy about installing sprayers or water systems in your trellis system. Well, there you that go. is that is an interesting one. You know, uh, we've we've had a lot of people kind of do that in the past, and um, you know, I just say go for it, man. Just create a flush out, create a way to clean it out, 
create a way to, you know, take all those little sprayers out and because they're going to get clogged because you're probably going to put something biological in there at some point. It's going to get clogged. So uh, yeah. I would recommend an inline filter before it goes into that so it can be cleaned and then an exit so you can flush it. So there's definitely a way and a pathway of doing that, man. If you want to create a cool system like that, just, you know, call me. I'll give you some tips. I think we need to introduce him to Leah Oram and, and her products, which cleans that biofilm out, Leighton. I think that'd be a good thing, eh? There you go. There you go. You can put that See? on his website, too. Exactly. Right? Okay, guys. Well, we'll get back into it next week. As uh, for the rest of this week on shows, we have um, a new lab. We have a discount code. They're in California. They do biological testing as well as soil samples. Uh, they're on us uh, with us with... Um, uh, myself and Andy Lopez, the Invisible Gardener, on Wednesday. And then, of course, Thursdays, the ladies have a guest. And I'm going to let you guys find out on Thursday who it is and what they're going to be talking about. Nice. And everything else, guys, just say peace out. And uh, I'm going to end the broadcast. All righty. Take care, everybody. Peace out. <laughs>